great to be with you this morning. My name is Matt, for those of you who I haven't met, and we are continuing in a series that we started a couple weeks ago called Apostolic Foundations. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8, verse 14, and we'll pick up there in a moment. And as we started the series a few weeks ago, I noted that uh, this language of apostolic foundations may sound sort of foreign to some of us, but really all it means is that we want to lay a foundation uh, on the gospel of grace that all of life and all of faith can be built upon, uh, that everything else that we do and think and believe is going to be built on those that same basic foundation that Paul and others laid in the early church in the beginning and that we see outlined in Scripture. So we want to lay that same foundation in our own lives. And we've spent the first couple weeks of the series getting ourselves rooted and grounded in our identity in Christ, answering the question, who am I in light of Jesus and what he's done and accomplished in cross and resurrection? Who am I? Because everything else is going to flow out of who we believe ourselves to be. So last week, we uh, looked at the concept of being in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? And how is that uh, different than being in Adam, where we were born? And this morning, we're continuing with the theme of identity in Christ by looking at what it means to be a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God, to claim that as your identity, and then to act and live out of that identity? This is who I am. We'll pick up in Romans 8, verse 14, where Paul writes this. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, and that in order that we may share in His glory. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, bring ourselves before You now just as we are uh, with, with all of our uh, messiness, with all of our imperfection, with all of the um, pieces of us that have yet to be touched and transformed by the Gospel. And we bring the totality of ourselves uh, under Your kingship, under Your authority, and under the shaping power and truth of Scripture. You say that the Scriptures is sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it's uh, effective in performing surgery within the deepest places where soul and bone and marrow and all of us kind of come together. In the deepest place of who we are, the truth of Your Word cuts into that place and does the things that it's supposed to do. And so that's our expectation this morning, that as we just uh, lift up and examine the truth of what Your Word says about us in Christ, that it's going to do a work, a surgery type work within our hearts. We pray these things in the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we examined the reality that you were born in Adam. 
spiritually dead, without God, and without hope in the world. That we were born into a hopeless situation, stuck in Adam, and yet Christ came to open up a new way, to to create a way for us to come out of Adam and, and into the kingdom of God, into Christ. And for those of you in the room who have made that decision, who have surrendered to Jesus, when you put your hope and faith and trust uh, in His cross and in His resurrection, Scripture says that you move from one to the other, that you stepped over the line, that you went from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, that you were reborn in the Spirit. And that process of moving from Adam to Christ, of moving from uh, spiritual death to spiritual life, of being reborn in the Spirit, was all part of this process of being adopted into the family of God. Some of you know that I was raised in an atheist family. And that for the first 20 years of my life, uh, I very much identified as an atheist. I had thought that through. I had examined you know, religion from a distance uh, and dismissed it. And I uh, was very settled in my atheism, but one of the breakthrough moments in my story came when I was reading a passage about family. And it said, you were born into a biological family, but God is creating an eternal family, and He's calling you to be a part of it, to come and be a part of that family that He's building. And as an atheist, reading those words, something in me just broke. And I just thought, oh man, I want to be a part of that. And I got on my knees in my bedroom, and I prayed for the very first time in my life. I prayed. I said, God, I believe that you're there. I believe what I've just read, that you are building this family, and I want to be a part of this family. And in the passage I had read, it said, you need to be baptized into that family. And I don't even know where to do that. I said, Lord, would you just baptize me in your spirit? Uh, I didn't know that, what that actually meant. But I just said, Lord, would you just baptize me in your spirit? I want to be a part of this family. And, and it was a, a breakthrough moment in my life of moving from atheism to theism. From believing there is no God to believing, no, there is a God and He's doing something in humanity. And it has something to do with family. That, that he's adopting people into his family. And so uh, in that moment, I didn't really know what I was stepping into. In fact, I still didn't actually know about Jesus and the resurrection and all of that. But the only concept I had and the first concept I had for what God is doing in humanity, his plan of redemption is to make a new eternal family in which I can be called a child of God. And it wasn't until about a year later that I really uh, understood Jesus and encountered Him and put my faith in His cross and the resurrection. And, and I started reading the Bible for the very first time, but never read the Bible. But as I started reading the Bible, I started seeing there again this theme of adoption. That Adam and Eve, in, in a real sense, are God's children but they reject the fatherhood of God. They say, no, 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 we don't want that. In a sense, we don't want to be part of this family. We don't want your fatherhood 
and authority, we want to go and, and be our own gods. We want to go and do our own thing. And in doing so, they essentially made themselves, they severed that tie, they essentially made themselves spiritual orphans in the world. And so they go and the generations start to flow out of them. But for millennia, there, there's just sadness. Humanity is marked by the sadness of rebellion and sin and death. They got the independence that they wanted and that secular culture wants again. But with it came so much of the brokenness and sadness. They were spiritual orphans in the world alone. Uh, but then we read about a specific moment in which God starts doing something new. And this new thing is in the entire plan of redemption that span, spans through Scripture really has a clear starting point in the story of Abraham. And through Abraham, he calls Abraham and he says, I'm going I'm to build through you a family. And that family is going to bless all the families of the earth. And, and it's going to be this eternal family that's going to dwell with me forever. And so through the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, God builds this family that shouldn't have come into existence, but it does. And through Jacob, there's 12 tribes uh, that are locked up in slavery in Egypt. But this uh, these growing family that's essentially a nation now of 12 tribes locked up in slavery, God actually calls them His Son. This, this group, this people group, this family is my son. And, and through God's choice and through their faith, they've become children of God. In fact, God instructs Moses with these words. He says, say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go that he may worship me but you refuse to let him go. And again, another example in Jeremiah, he says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So Abraham and his offspring are regarded as children of God. Israel is his, his firstborn son. But notice that this has happened through the process of adoption. Israel is the Son of God by adoption. In, in fact, in retelling uh, the story of Israel, God uses this vivid imagery of Israel as His daughter. And it's the imagery of adoption. He says this, He says, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean. Nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered 
cloth. In other words, God's saying to them, hey, you were abandoned. You, you were left out to die. Abandoned in the world. And I came to you, and I made you my own. Not because there was anything particularly good about you. This is what he says to Israel. It, it wasn't because you were the most numerous people. You certainly weren't the most moral people. There was nothing particularly special about you, but I chose you and I adopted you in just because I wanted to. That was, that was my choice. And that you were nothing, but I went and sought you out and adopted you and, and brought you in. And sadly, as you then read the story of Israel, they take a similar path to Adam and Eve of sort of rejecting the Lord and preferring others to the Lord. Uh, idolatry comes in and they say, oh yeah, yeah, maybe there is the Lord, but really what we want is this thing over here. And so again, Israel is uh, increasingly over the centuries in greater and greater trouble as they uh, reject the Lord. But even during that process, even as uh, the son that he adopted is rejecting him and pushing away, even then God is speaking to the prophets in Israel about a greater adoption that is to come when God will go beyond even the borders of Israel and will go out into the nations, into the Gentiles, for people who don't know his name, who aren't looking for him, and he will adopt them into his family as well. This is just one example of that. Speaking of the future, God said to Israel, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. So Israel is adopted, but they're also told of a future time that is coming when God is going to call and adopt the nations into His family people who were not looking to Him nor seeking Him. And this was to be accomplished when God came into humanity in the person of Jesus who was Himself adopted. Did you ever think about that? Mary conceives Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph had nothing to do with that. So Joseph not only has to trust the messenger from the Lord in, in staying committed to Mary, because in Joseph's eyes and in the eyes of the community, it looks as if this woman who he's engaged to has committed adultery and become pregnant by another man. So Joseph has to trust in light of what the community thinks and what he naturally thinks he has to say, no, 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 I'm going to trust in the Lord. I will not abandon this woman. I'm going to stay committed to her. But he also is committing himself to this son who he had no biological part in creating. He said, I'm going to adopt Jesus as my son. I'm going to take ownership over this. And that adoption, that bond was so real that Jesus can trace his lineage through Joseph. And this actually becomes important 
in the biblical storyline. If you go back in time, King David, it's prophesied over King David. God promises him there will be a descendant who comes from your family line who will rule on a throne forever. And so people are waiting, where is this son of David? Where is this descendant of David who is to come? We're waiting for him. And when you open up the New Testament, it starts off with Matthew's Gospel, and it says this is the lineage of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it traces the generations. This is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and down it goes till you get to King David. And we all remember the promise made to King David. Well, here goes the generations after King David to Joseph, to Jesus, who was adopted by Joseph. So that adoption makes him a descendant of King David, worthy to fulfill the promises that they've been waiting for. If you have adopted a child, or if you yourself were adopted, you might be familiar with the uh, potentially annoying question of, oh, is that your real daughter? Oh, is that your real daughter? Is that your real son? Is she your real mom? To which you might say, well, she's not my fake daughter. (laughs) Yes, of course she's my real daughter. Of course that's my real son. Of course that's my real mom. They were made real by adoption. On equal standing and equal status with a biological child. In fact, in the ancient world, in the Roman world, in which Paul is writing, uh, adoption was such a solemn and serious thing that when you adopted a child in the ancient world, they could never be disowned. You could never reverse that adoption. Which meant that if you were an adopted child in the world that Paul is writing in, you actually had a stronger standing in the family than the biological children. You could go to your uh, brothers and sisters, the biological ones, and you could say, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but I have a place in this family that can never be revoked. It's not very Christ-like to do that to them, but, but it was true. That's how adoption worked In that world, you had an irreversible place. You were a real son, a real daughter of the family that adopted you. So if you're in that situation and someone asks you that question again, you can say, yes, this is my real daughter. This is my real son. This is my real mother. The integrity of Scripture depends on that. That Joseph could say that of Jesus. That Jesus could say that of Joseph. So God Himself has been adopted. And He is also in the business of adopting. You and I have been adopted into the family of God. Paul says it this way. 
He says, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, that's all of us, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember that you were an outsider, that you were an orphan, that you were not part of the family of God, but that God came to you, that God chose you, that God adopted you in, and as a result, you are a real son, you are a real daughter by adoption. In the ancient world, the head of the household had absolute power over his family. He had the power of life and death over that household. And so when a baby was born in that household, the Roman world, the baby would often be brought and presented to the head of the household, who then had the option to receive that baby into the family or to reject that baby. And if they were rejected, they would be put out to die in the elements. Depended on him. What do, what do I want? Do I want to receive this baby or not? If they looked at that baby and decided to receive them, they would raise that baby into the air. I almost think of like Simba on Pride Rock or something. You were already thinking it anyway, so. They would literally raise the baby into the air as a sign, I accept this child into the family. Uh, In fact, that's where we get the language of raising a child. Child raising. It's a hard thing to do. It it dates back to that practice. Okay, You raise the child, they are accepted into the family. But if they saw a flaw in that child or they did not want that child, they would be rejected. They would be set out to die. Uh, often they would just be taken to a place uh, outside of the city and were to be left to die of exposure. In ancient Ephesus, there was a specific hill on the edge of the city, outside of the city, where babies would be left to die in the elements. But as the gospel rippled out across the ancient world, and hit the city of Ephesus, there was this curious little group of people who didn't believe in the Roman gods, who started going out to the hill and taking these babies. They would take them off the hill, they would wash the blood off of them, they would salt them, put ointment on them, and wrap them up, and bring them home. And they would say to those babies, live. You are not an orphan anymore. You are now a son. You are now a daughter, and you belong here. You have a place in the household. 
But in the moment that they were doing that, they weren't just doing a random good deed. As Christians, we're called to do good things in the world. Okay? We are called to do good works. This isn't just a random good work. What they were doing in ancient Ephesus was acting out the gospel for the Roman world to see. What you see me doing here, God has done for me. God has done for us. You were a spiritual orphan. Abandoned on the side of a hill. And Jesus came to you. God the Father came and picked you up. And washed you and cleaned you and wrapped you and said, No one else wants you, but I want you. I've chosen you. I am bringing you into my home, into my family. Ephesians 1 says, In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship. And, and that phrase, by the way, sonship, was, was uh, a mark of inclusion in the ancient world. We say, why didn't they say sonship and daughtership? Well, in the ancient world, there was actually a hierarchy. The sons had a higher place than the daughters. So what Paul is saying is, no, 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 everyone is equal in Christ. Everyone has been adopted into the same thing. You are all been adopted into sonship and have equal standing in Him. That's what he's trying to communicate there. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. So He's saying, I, I went out to the hill. I chose you. I picked you up. I adopted you. Why? Because you were the best baby on the hill? No. According to my pleasure and my will, it brought me joy to go and pick you out and to do that for you. It wasn't because you're the most numerous or the most moral or the most whatever. It's not because you had done anything, good or bad. You had not distinguished yourself or proven yourself in any way. You were chosen. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And just in case the doubt sneaks in that, oh, well, He calls us that, but... No, no, no. And that is what we are. That is who you are. Irrevocably. You are a real son of God. You are a real daughter of God. Chosen, adopted in. It's part of your identity. That is who you are. And if you can grasp that, if you can be grounded in that reality, it will change the way that you live. If you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. Instantly, we see from that perspective as we stand on that truth and then look out at the world, instantly, without anyone needing to explain it to you, you will see this set of things makes a lot of sense for me. 
This is fitting. This makes sense with who I am. This set of things over here, that doesn't make sense in light of who I am. That would be ill-fitting for me as a son of God or as a daughter of God. But notice that it's based not on some sort of religious law, but it's based on your identity. If I know who I am, I'll be able to navigate that world. It's based on who we perceive ourselves to be. You cannot consistently behave in ways that are incongruent with what you believe about yourself. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. Eventually, the two have to line up. We currently have three kids, my wife and I, uh, ages four, six, and eight. And uh, on our worst parenting days, we just appeal to threats and punishment. Right? This is the law of the home. We've laid down the law. You're disobeying that law, and therefore, you are going to get some sort of punishment, or you're going to lose some sort of privilege, or on really bad days, you just think, oh, that one just needs a spank, you know? But all of that is based on, on law and punishment. That's on, that's on our worst days, which is most days. Because parenting is really hard. But on our best days, when our children act out or misbehave or punch each other in the face, which has never happened before, just a sample. When that happens, on our best days, we calmly, lovingly take them aside and sit with them and just ask them, who are you? Who are you? Who are you, Eli? Who are you, Caleb? And they can answer, I'm a son of God. That's who I am. And, and on some days, that's enough. Everything starts clicking into place. The implications are clear. But even on days when it's not clear, we can ask a follow-up question. Okay, what does a son of God do? Oh, well, they love people, and they forgive people, and they share their Cheerios with people, whatever the fight was about. Ah, if I know who I am, I know what to do. So as we close, a few implications on how we might live out of that identity. How do we go and live in light of who we already are, of who we've, made, uh, to, who we've been made to be in Christ? Uh, as adopted children, number one, if you're taking notes, uh, we live out of our blessing not to earn our blessing. When Jesus was baptized, uh, for those of you who know the story in the Gospels, you know that the, the heavens parted, that the Holy Spirit descended uh, visibly upon Jesus, 
And, and the words of the Father were spoken out over him. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And followers of Jesus from that moment to this moment have noted over the centuries and, and millennia that Jesus then went and lived and acted out of that identity. His ministry was just starting. He had not healed anyone. He had not made an announcement about the kingdom. He, he hadn't done any of the things that we know him for. But before he lifted a finger in those things, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus was full of joy, but he had a hard life. The resistance he faced, the misunderstanding, the rejection, the persecution, people trying to kill him, people betraying him. I would have been so unbelievably discouraged if I was in his place. And yet, as an anchor, in the midst of all of the craziness, in, in the middle of every storm, he could say, no, 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 I am a son of the Father, and, and in, in me he's well pleased. Regardless of what happens, regardless of how the crowds respond, regardless of, of anything else. And, and we can say the same thing. You do not need to spend the rest of your life trying to prove yourself to God and other people. That is a waste of your life. Instead, we recognize that you're already chosen. That you're already pleasing to Him. That you're already loved by the Father. That He already delights in you. We go and live out of that blessing and identity not subtly trying to earn that blessing or identity. You have a place in the household of God that will never be revoked. You have an inheritance waiting for you. Romans 8, we read at the start, said you, you're an heir, you're a co-heir with Christ. and you, you have an inheritance waiting for you right now in the kingdom of God. If you die tomorrow, you step into that inheritance. So we have that security. We have that blessing. Now you go and live out of that. And all the storms and all the heartache and all the betrayal and all the temptation and all the difficulty. In the midst of that, we can stand. When you're sinned against, when you sin, stand on the truth. I am a son of God. And in me, He's well pleased. It's true. Satan comes along, oh, that's ridiculous. He's not, no, he's well pleased with you. You're in Christ. Number two, if you're taking notes, because we are children of God, this becomes true, we support adoption because we were ourselves adopted. The more clearly you see the gospel of Jesus, the more clearly you grasp that and understand it in your heart and mind, the more you will be moved to support adoption in the world. And the more you support adoption, the closer you get to that world, the more you will understand the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. The two of them feed off of each other. And, and they should. They ought to. 
Adoption is beautiful, and adoption is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It takes a village to raise any child. And it's, it's true with adoption and with foster care as well. So some of us in the room are called to adopt or called to foster. Others of us in the room are called to support those who are adopting or support those who foster. But the church should be on the front lines of this issue. There are a hundred million orphans in the world right now. And that doesn't count foster care. And God has something to say about that. The gospel has something to say about that. His church should have something to say about that. There are babies right now in government facilities right around the world in squalor, lying in their own waste, untouched and unloved, left on a metaphorical hillside outside of Ephesus. And the church has something to say about that. Because we were those babies. You know who you are. You know what to do. Number three, adoption is an act of war. Your enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. To shred families and destroy people. To blur your identity in Christ. He comes to break apart family and to challenge you in your identity. This is what he's been doing from the beginning. Even in the account of Jesus, what happens? The heavens open. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What happens next? Led by the Spirit of God into the desert to be tested, to be tempted by the enemy. So the enemy comes to Jesus as he comes to all of us. Did God really say? Did God really say? Is that actually who you are? You're not a son of God. You're not a daughter of God. If you really are the son of God, go jump off the temple. He he comes to challenge Jesus in his identity. So whether you're standing on your identity as an adopted child of the Father, or uh, you are engaged in the, the actual adoption of a physical child, you need to expect pushback. There, there's a kingdom and there's a dominion of darkness that are warring against each other. So God says, I've come to adopt. I've come to take the lonely and put them in families. I've come to take you and bring you into the center of my love and affection. That's, that's the exact opposite of what our enemy is doing. So you have to expect pushback in that. Russell Moore, uh, the author of the book Adopted for Life, 
which is a great book on the biblical grounds for adoption, by the way. If you're on the fence or you're considering adoption or you just want to learn more about what the Bible says, I would recommend that book, Adopted for Life, uh, probably with a box of tissues because it will just wreck you while you're reading it. But he has this to say about it. He says, Adoption as gospel tells us about our identity, our inheritance, and our mission as sons of God. But adoption is contested both in its cosmic and its missional aspects. The scriptures tell us that there are unseen beings in the air around us who would rather we not think about what it means to be who we are in Christ. These these rulers of this age would rather we ignore both the eternal reality and the earthly icon of it. They would rather we find our identity, our inheritance, and our mission in what we can see in the flesh rather than the veiled rhythms of the spirit of life. That's why adoption isn't just charity, it's war. If you're standing on your identity as an adopted child of the Father, chosen in love, if you're engaged in any form of adoption or foster care or supporting those who do, you need to expect pushback. This is one of the ways that the kingdom of God is breaking into the dominion of darkness. And it doesn't do so unopposed. So we cannot be naive about that. Why is it so hard for me to just accept who I am in Christ? You're in the middle of a war zone. And finally, as we close, because you are an adopted son or daughter of the Father, you are part of a new family. And the first thing we see within that is that we have a new father. That's mostly what I've talked about today. Oh my gosh, I have a new father who sought me out, taken me off the Ephesus Hill. He's brought me home and I have an irrevocable place in his household. But notice that as you do that, as you say yes to God and you step over the threshold into the home, you realize that it's not just you and God. You start looking to the left and to the right and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one who's been adopted. I have brothers and sisters, a lot of them. Two billion brothers and sisters around the world who you now have more in common with than any of your neighbors who do not follow Jesus. You are part of a new family that comes from every tribe, tongue, and nation right around the world. And we'll explore that more in the weeks ahead. What does it look like to be part of this global family that we've been adopted into? But you've been adopted into this uh, giant global family of followers of Jesus that stretches through the ages and will stretch into the future. And you're also part of a local family. Of people whose names you know whose problems you wrestle with, whose burdens you share, whose offenses you work to forgive, whose joy becomes your joy, whose strength becomes your strength. And you should be able to look around and think to yourself, wow, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because of who I am, 
because of my identity, because of what's happened to me, these are now my brothers and sisters in Christ. Those things and many more flow out of your identity, flow out of the reality that you are an adopted son or an adopted daughter in the household of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we are in awe of You, Lord. We praise You this morning that we can stand and worship in response to the fact that I am a son of God, that I am a daughter of God, that I was sought out, that when no one wanted me and I was a spiritual orphan in the world, the Father stood up at great cost to Himself and said, I want that one. And and we might get introspective and say, why, Lord? I know who I am. I know the mess that I am. It doesn't matter. It pleased the Father to say, I want that one, and I will pick them up, and I will wash the blood off of them, and I will salt them, and I will wrap them, and I will make them my own. An irrevocable place in the household of God. So we, we receive that this morning, Jesus. Just say, wow, what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So our prayer this morning is simple. Lord, help us to receive that. Help us to celebrate that. And only then will we go out into the world and and live out of that. Because we cannot sustain a lifestyle that is at odds with who we actually are receive ourselves to be. So would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you work among us now? Would you touch? Would you heal? Would you speak truth where we've been walking in half-truth, where we've received lies? Would you come and and lift those up out of the soil of our hearts and, and plant a new seed, a truer thing, a better thing, in its place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.